Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. So glad you found us. If this is your first time, we certainly hope it's not your last time. And we'd invite you to click on the digital connection card up here in the corner and just let us know who you are and leave an email address that we can respond to. And if there's a prayer request you might have, we'd certainly love to be able to pray for you. And if there's a question you might have, we'd certainly welcome that. We're grateful that you've tuned in. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and we're grateful too for your presence. And please use that same connection card to let us know prayer request or a question that you might have. But we're grateful and it is the first Sunday of Lent. And as we do that, we want to remind you that we will be celebrating communion after the message. And so you will want to grab a small cracker or a piece of bread and some juice here as we go through our time together. So you'll be prepared. And we also want to share with you that Wednesday is the first of March. And as we begin the month of March, it is also what we're calling the March of Prayer. This is the fifth year that we will have done this in the community of Mansfield. We have 31 churches. We, as Linden Road, are hosting on March 7th. Uh, most events are from 6 to 8 p.m. If you'd like to know more about that, there's a link here in the worship notes and you can download a schedule and be aware of that. It's also posted on the uh, Godsfield Facebook page, so you can check it out there also. But together, we're looking forward to what God is doing already in some incredible ways throughout the nation. You've heard, I'm sure, of what's been called the Asbury Outpouring, and I'll have a little bit more to share about that as we get into the message. But we know that there's something afoot, and we want to be part of that. Even if you can't participate with us in person, I hope you'll pray. Print off the schedule and look what church is hosting, and just Pray with us for what God might do in this season. And you'll be encouraged, I'm sure. And also I want to remind you that we are doing the 40-day prayer challenge uh, using Draw the Circle from Mark Batterson. Uh, today would be day five. To help you with that, you can go to our website, click on the circle there that says 40-day prayer journey, and it will take you to a page, and we're going to break it out each week. So even though it's day five, jump in. Please join us in this as we draw a circle around the church, around our community, and even around each other in terms of our journey of what God will do as we pray through this season. And I hope you'll be encouraged in that. We're out here today walking around, talking to people, asking them if the church was listening, what would you tell them? Uh, you know, the church is very, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a problem with the church today. Very rarely does the church give actual help, and that's what I mean, because that's its original goal, is to, you know, be God's hands and feet, uh, but really, it's, you know, they're not really providing real help. Yeah, it's just like, I more trust, like, people I know better, and like, it's not that I don't trust the church, it's more that I, like, wouldn't reach out to them for, like, the, like person I'd go for. Uh, I'm not religious. Well, we're not, we're not Christians. I'm not really religious. I'm not a religious person. I think that the idea of the church has been really corrupted, and there are a lot of churches that aren't actually doing what the church preaches it's supposed to do. And so for that reason, I think I'm very hesitant to it in general. It's more about congregation numbers rather than, like, touching people's hearts. And it's easily, it's easy to make that confusion when you get into it. When you think of the church, what's the first thing that comes to mind? 
priests and praying and ceremonies. A group of people coming together to worship God, where people go and pray. Habitual things on Sundays, most mostly. If you feel like you've done something and you need like forgiveness, like you turn to God. So how can the church better connect with people? Um, I think I just, I kind of live in the gray area, so anything that feels too boxed in or black and white doesn't feel um, aligned with me. The church? Um, I don't know. I don't think that I would ever go into a church on my own. Oh, maybe change the image because, especially now, there's, it's not very positive. I have no idea, never thought of it. It just feels like a secret that everybody else is in on but me. So this is the final week in our series called Church, where basically we've looked at uh, what comes to us out of the book of Acts about what God did in and through those first century Christians to grow the church, to bring us to where we are today. And as we've looked at that, we've talked about who we are and the kind of church that we want to be and what we want to be known for. We've also talked about the opportunities that we have to serve each other and to serve those that are far from Christ. But what I want to do today as we begin is I want to take a moment and I want to look at what's going on in the world around us about how God is working through his Holy Spirit in the church. I want to talk about the Asbury outpouring. I want to lean into that because I think there's something there for us as we lean into our season of Lent and our journey, uh, even through the 40-day prayer journey through Draw the Circle, that I think there's some things going on. And I'm still trying to process this, but on February 8th, a Wednesday, the school normally has a worship chapel for the students. It was like any other chapel, but afterwards, 19 students asked if they could come and continue worshiping. And then as that happened, as they were in prayer and in worship together after the service, it slowly began to see more students show up to the point where later that day there was some 100, and then later there was some 500, and the auditorium itself seats 1,700. It soon began to fill up and to sort of spill over, not just in terms of the number of people, but also in terms of the time. And one day turned into two to turn into three, that turned into when I showed up and ultimately turned into 13 uh, before they transitioned to an even different understanding. But, and what was interesting about that is I watched. Uh, the news and media was paying attention to it. And I just wondered really what was going on. There, there was lots of criticism. Is this really a revival and what is God doing and what does this look like? After worship last Sunday with the blessing of Melinda, I got in the car and I drove. I drove four hours and 15 minutes to Wilmore, Kentucky. Now, it was interesting. As I drove through Cincinnati, the closer I got, my GPS was telling me for some reason it was saying I was farther away. Well, as it turned out, when I finally got to the entrance to Wilmore, uh, pulling off the main highway there, they had actually shut it down uh, with a police barricade saying that the town was full. They had electronic message boards set up at the entrance to the city where it said, we are uh, out of room, please go home and watch online via the live stream. Well, I wasn't gonna be deterred because I felt like I had driven that far and so I was able to find a place to park, had to walk into the campus about a half a mile. And it was amazing as I walked in, 
as I got there on campus. I could hear the music playing as I, the closer I got. And then as I stepped onto campus, it was amazing to experience in so many different ways what was going on. There was, there was probably a line of people, two football fields long, that circled around the main part of campus that were waiting to get into Hughes Auditorium. They had created overflow sites at a several other auditoriums they had on campus. And so I was able to go into a couple of those and experience just the amazing hospitality. But I think the best thing I can do is share with you here a video that was produced by John Snyder. John, too, felt a calling and an urging to go. And John is what he calls himself a film revivalist. And I'm so grateful that he's given me permission to share with you this short video that's basically a documentary of what he saw and experienced there actually the day before I was there. So he traveled to Wilmore, traveled to the campus of Asbury, and please, uh, let's watch. Any other stories come to mind? Just someone yeah. who's like had this like, huge like revelation, change of heart, of being affected in some way. Yeah. There's something you know or something you've heard about. Yeah, can I think for like just a second? Because yeah. there's so many. How this encounter with the Holy Spirit started is um, a group of students didn't want to stop worshiping and then they received the Holy Spirit in honesty and in genuineness and um, they started sharing their testimonies and then it didn't stop. I walked um, into the chapel and saw a bunch of students um, worshiping together very um, intimately. It just, everyone was crying, hands were in the air. It was just showcasing the love of God in so many ways that I had kind of forgotten about. And um, I remember I was with a friend and we were standing in the doorway and I turned to him and I said, I don't know what they have, but whatever it is, I want this. Our world is dark and our students are hurting and they're they're lonely, they're angry, they're desperate. And so they've been praying for change. And we've had a lot of great moments on our campus, great chapel services, great speakers, great intentionality, great prayer meetings. And I think after the service on this just regular chapel day, God just started working in their hearts and he's been working in their hearts, but they were obedient to it. You know, when you think about how did this start? Um, it was nothing anybody did. It was nothing Asbury did. It was nothing that Zach Meercreeps did. It was nothing that any student did. Um, you know, I believe that it was just a, like a pure and a deep cry for more of God's spirit that these students had. And look where it's gotten us. And so we have people from all over the world now. I was one of the people who stayed um, immediately after the chapel service. So we had kind of a soft ending. Um, we said people are allowed to continue to worship, um, but I just, I just continued to sit in my seat and pray and just reflect on who God was. Um, went to my 12 o'clock class, and then when I got out of class, I heard the singing, and I said, okay, that's, that's weird. Why is this still continuing? Um, so I went back up, and it, it was surreal. The peace that was in the room um, was unexplainable. And a couple buddies and I just went to run around to the different classrooms and barged in on classes and said, revival's happening. 
a ton of healing from church hurt and from various traumatic events. There's physical healings, there's been calls that cancer's gone, but then beyond that, something that's like I think extremely incredible is I know this campus very well. It's small. We're less about, I guess, at a thousand students. And I know exactly which people on this campus hate each other. And those are the people that I have seen praying together, singing together, hugging, crying. Like I myself have had a list of least favorite people at this school and I have spent the week with them. And it's been like totally life changing. For some it is freedom for the first time. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from uh, desperation maybe. Uh, for some, it's freedom from addiction or whatever that may be, and for others, it might be a first-time commitment or really a first-time understanding of who God truly is. I mean, for some, they're just praying for their families that addiction would be broken in the lives of their family members. So it is however the Lord is working in their individual hearts. God has a plan of redemption for our world, but God works in the lives of people and He can bring healing and He can bring peace in the, in the midst of really challenging and difficult things. He's reaching out to a lost and broken people and He's inviting them into His presence and into His peace and into His love and community here on campus and people just can't get enough of it. I feel like the first couple of days, I've just felt so much joy. Like, when I'm singing, I just can't help but like, like my mouth hurts, my jaw hurts, I'm just smiling ear to ear um, and just being filled with so much joy. And I've never really liked praying out loud in front of people, but I've just felt so like bold in that, like to pray for people and allowing God to use me just to speak through me to people for what they need to hear. I used to have a really big shame about prayer. I used to, um, I never used to want to pray near people, pray out loud. Um, I had a big shame about how I sounded when I prayed. I thought I had to sound like this perfect pastor with these poetic words. That rooted itself in me at a young age. And uh, Jesus like just broke that shame of how I felt and like, and how I had put my personal image above what Jesus says about me and Jesus says that I'm his son and I'm beloved and that my purpose in this life is to just love him and to praise him. People have been reminded about the goodness of God and that his presence is special, that it's holy. And I think a lot of the transformation has been refocusing on Jesus. And some people have gotten healed and some people have come to Christ which are things we celebrate, but I think a lot of the times we are just so caught up in our schedules that we forget that God is always moving, and I think He's starting to intervene here. I really think that this is just a, uh, my generation and all generations just crying out for truth um, in a world that teaches relative truth and that there is no truth. There is absolutely truth. He is truth, truth. there is truth in His Word, and He's, he's answering our prayers. This isn't just gonna end and everything's gonna go back to normal. Like this is changing our culture, this is changing our society, this is changing our world. The Holy Spirit's here and it's incredible of what we're all learning. And our younger generation, I'm only 18 years old and I feel like that this opportunity now has created a way of the type of man that I wanna be and the type of person that I wanna to contribute to society. And I feel like that's what's happening, that we're, we're learning all these good lessons and bonding so much with the Holy Spirit that it, this is creating a new wave of all young people that are gonna impact our country and the world. You can experience revival in, in any place. It doesn't have to be in a chapel. It doesn't have to be you know, in church. It's something that you can experience every day in your life. The Holy Spirit is not contained to one place. It's not fake. It's something that's real. And it's truly why we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't truly understand it until you actually 
come and taste and see for yourself? I mean, I've seen like people be healed this week. I've never thought I'd ever see that in my life. Like, we're not worshiping the healing. Like, that's great. And if God chooses to heal, that's amazing. And it's beautiful and wonderful. But we're worshiping the one who does heal. I mean, there's going to be commissioned services where we say, thank you for coming. I'm so glad you experienced and encountered the Holy Spirit. Now go to your family, go to your school, go to your church, go to your community and tell them about it and pray for them. And it's going to happen there too. So while it will fizzle at Asbury, because it simply must at some point, uh, I think that it will be global for a very, very long time. I'm really grateful for John's keen eye and his editing talents to help tell the story of what has taken place there. And there's a couple things I want to unpack from that. One, for me, I had the pleasure of being there early Monday morning. It was about 1.05 a.m. where one of the pastors, as he was closing the time together for that day, and that would have ended the 13 days of nonstop, 24-7 encounter, he said, what we want to do is ask anyone who is not going to be here tomorrow to raise your hand. And so there were a number of us that raised our hands. And he said, here's what we want to do, because it's not about what's happening here, although this is an incredible opportunity and it's been an incredible blessing and we're all encouraged by it. But really it's about you taking this story to your home, to your family, to your church. And he said, we're going to commission you. He asked those that were in the auditorium to look around if they saw anyone with a hand up to get close to them and put a hand on them and, and pray over them as he led in prayer. And what he did was commission us. He commissioned us to go forward and to take this experience and move it into our own world and our own circle of influence. I was really moved as I watched this video by the student named Allison where she says, quote, there's going to be a commissioning service where we say, Thank you for coming. I'm so glad you experienced and encountered the Holy Spirit. Now go. Go to your family, go to your school, go to your church, go to your community and tell them about it and then pray for them. And it's going to happen there too. So while it's going to fizzle, and I love the fact that she acknowledged that here at Asbury, because it must at some point. And I think that it will be a global thing for a very long, long time. So I hope that encourages you to get a sense of what God is doing there. And they've transitioned to a different understanding. And you can learn more about that if you want by going to asbury.edu forward slash outpouring. And the link is here also in the worship notes. I can't miss the irony that this is taking place as we begin our journey of Lent or as we begin our journey here even for us as a church in the 40-day prayer challenge. I see all of this as being incredibly connected to what God is doing in this current season. And the idea of where we've been the last four weeks talking about what does it mean to be a church, what does it mean to be engaged in our community and our culture to make a difference, to bring the gospel to bear and to share the truth and the hope that comes in knowing who Jesus is. 
So what I want to do now as we think about this season of Lent, I, I just want to unpack it a little bit more in a particular way because Lent is a practice that we, we exercise in the church every year. It's a part of our, our liturgical calendar. It comes to us uh, after Epiphany, but, but before Easter, and there's a reason for that. I know in our culture, Lent is not something a lot of people are familiar with. My good friend Gabe Collins at Heartfelt Radio, I know hearing her talk even this week about it, that Lent is something new, and, and she's been exposed to the idea of what Lent can do and how, the impact that it can make in a person's life through her co-host, Mark Zimmerman, because Mark is active in a Lutheran church where they practice Lent as just part of their calendar. Gabe, on the other hand, grew up in a church that didn't practice that. But I think there's something about the practice of Lent that we need to better understand uh, why we do it. And let's begin first with just the definition of what is Lent. According to the dictionary, it is that period that precedes Easter that in the Christian church is devoted to fasting, abstinence, and penitence in commemoration of Christ's fasting in the wilderness. And in the Western church, it runs from Ash Wednesday to Holy Saturday, and so includes 40 weekdays. And depending upon how you grew up and how you've experienced Lent, you may or may not be familiar with it. And maybe you've heard of it, uh, but maybe you don't really know what it's about. And I want to talk today about what we're going to call the ins and outs of Lent, of why people observe this as a practice. Generally, most people have two thoughts about Lent. Uh, they, first of all, they see people on Ash Wednesday with a smudge on their forehead. And they also know that it's a season of giving something up. Today, I want to unpack that at a little deeper level. And my hope is, as we journey through this, that it will, you'll get a better understanding of the what and the why and the how of Lent. And so that you can incorporate this experience into your own faith practice. Let's begin first with the history of Lent. Lent is not a new idea. There was a man named Irenaeus who was born way back in 130 AD, and he was a follower of Jesus, and he became an early leader in the church, and he wrote about a period of fasting that sounds a lot like, like the season of Lent. And then a few hundred years later, there was a bunch of Christian leaders who got together at what they called the Council of Nicaea. And when they gathered, there was a few things that happened through their gathering. First of all, they established Easter officially as its own Christian holiday. They also wrote a very influential piece of liturgy called the Nicene Creed. And then they discussed a 40-day season of fasting called Lent. So all that to say that Lent's been around for a really, really long time. And it started out as a, something that was very strict with rules about fasting and prayer. And all of those rules were designed to help followers of Jesus repent of their sins and remove things from their lives that distracts them from Jesus. And then over the course of several centuries, it has developed and take a new shape along with the rest of what the world does, right? And that's why today we tend to think of it as a time where we give something up. But the focus is still supposed to be on Jesus. So that's what Lent is, and that's where it came from. Now, why? Why do we do uh, Lent? Why do we observe it? Well, as we've discussed, Lent is the season that leads up to Easter. It's our huge celebration of Jesus and it's the fact that he rose from the grave, that he conquered death, that death is dead because of his good work, and that sin is canceled also. 
And that it finally announces in the most clear way possible that Jesus is king. And it's an amazing thing. And it's where we put our focus and our understanding about what our faith is all about. It's where our hope lies because of what Jesus has done for us. But this celebration of Lent is not just something that's thrown in before Easter without any kind of purpose. It was placed there as a way to help us prepare for Easter. It prepares us for that journey. It prepares us on how we need to celebrate. It prepares us for what Jesus will do at Easter. It reminds us about how much we need him about how broken we are. Now, Lent is a season where we really do recognize our weakness and our need for a Savior. We recognize our sin and our brokenness. We, we fast and we give up things as a sign of our humility and our dependence upon God and our dependence upon what Jesus has done for us and what he accomplished. I know if you were out and about on Wednesday evening, you would have seen probably someone that had ash on their forehead because that was Ash Wednesday. That's when we begin the journey of Lent. Because of that Ash Wednesday service, that what we do, we actually take the, the palms from the year before, from Palm Sunday, and we take and burn those, and we turn them into ash, and then uh, the pastor will make a cross on your forehead as you come to the worship experience. And as we do that, and it's very humbling to do this as a pastor, is to say to each person, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Wow, that's pretty sobering, right? It, it really sort of puts everything in perspective. So these ashes that we put on a person's head are simply there as a reminder of our brokenness and of our sin and of our need of a Savior. And that's why we make the symbol of the cross with the ash as a reminder of what Jesus has done. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he writes about how he had been given a thorn in his flesh that kept him from becoming uh, conceited. We've talked about this before. Although we never really do find out exactly what the thorn was, it's clear that there was a source of weakness for Paul. And so listen to what he says here in uh, chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is really fundamental for us to understand. It's something that's really important to our faith journey. We need to know very clearly that in recognizing our weaknesses, it helps us then recognize the perfect power and the strength that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine how excited you would be to celebrate Jesus on Easter if you had spent the last 40 days leading up to Easter being reminded of his strength and power compared to your own weaknesses? That's what this is all about. So the whole idea is it makes Easter an even bigger celebration. That's the whole idea. And then thinking about 40 days, and that's an understanding we have in Scripture of other 40 days, right? I mean, it sort of is part of this why question, why 40 days? And so just to help you understand, if you try to count them out, they don't include Sundays. So there's 40 days, but it doesn't include Sundays because the early church treated every Sunday as a celebration of Easter, as a mini celebration of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's kind of cool, kind of encouraging. 
So we know that in the Bible, the number 40 takes on some special meaning. And we know, especially in this idea of uh, preparing, right? Let's take a look here in Exodus chapter 34, back in the Old Testament. We read that Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai while he was preparing the tablets with the Ten Commandments. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah the prophet, he went 40 days and 40 nights without food. And then in Matthew, in the New Testament, we know that here in chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, but he did it alone. And it was just before being tempted by Satan. Now, some people think that Jesus was fasting alone in the desert to make himself really weak so he could experience temptation at his most vulnerable point. But what if fasting in solitude was how Jesus was preparing himself to be tempted? I think Jesus knew that the fasting and the focusing was exactly what he needed to be ready for all that was going to come to him. So for us, by leaning into this season of Lent and the 40 days, we're basically following in the footsteps of those who have gone before us including Jesus in the wilderness, that we're preparing ourselves. And it's not just for the celebration at Easter, but it's also to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's all about humbling ourselves and focusing on him. Now, real quick, does the Bible tell us to do Lent in the 40 days? No. In fact, Lent isn't even mentioned in the scriptures directly. It's something that Christians came up with after the Bible was written and there's aspects of Lent that we've discussed, this idea of praying and fasting and penitence and sacrifice. They're all things that the Bible says are super important for the life of someone who wants to follow Jesus. We've talked about what Lent is and we've talked about why. So let's get practical in talking about the how of how we can incorporate this practice into our faith journey. And, and I know just because Lent has been around for a long time, it doesn't mean there isn't something here that we can't lean into and, and learn from and make it a relevant part of our faith journey. That if you understand the purpose behind Lent, I think there's a way to find the practice of it that will make sense to you. Now, again, this idea of 40, it has a special significance in the Bible, just like the number seven has significance. So I'm going to give you seven different ways to practice Lent. I'm going to give you a few things uh, that you need to give up, and then we're going to talk about a few things that you need to uh, take on. First of all, the idea of give up is food. It's probably, it may not be realistic for you to fast completely for 40 days, but you can give up one meal a day. Or if you love a certain candy bar or a certain kind of soda or, or pop or, or a coffee drink, you know, try giving that up for Lent. And then every time you have a craving, remind yourself why you gave it up and ask God to help you grow closer to him in those moments. And the second give up is screen time. Now, this may only be applicable to our younger friends, but maybe not. Uh, some of us live for social media, right? Some people binge watch Netflix or play video games or watch a soap opera. You, know, you pick it, uh, and they do it all the time. And that's not always a bad thing. But if you're honest, you might admit that these things can be a distraction. And if you're honest... You can admit that these things can be a distraction from your relationship with Jesus. So what if you took 40 days off from Snapchat or your favorite show or game? Uh, I know it sounds impossible, right? But if you start small, you might be able to work your way up. The third give up is, and it can be simple and hard, is complaining and negativity. 
I know we complain a lot. I mean, it's just part of our culture, it seems like right now. But could we make a commitment not to complain or be negative during Lent? Now, to be honest, you're probably going to need someone to hold you accountable on this one, giving permission to your friends and family to point it out if you start into it. Okay? Give up number four is that one sin, and you'll have to name it. You know, what is it for you? Is it lying? Is it gossip? Is it doing drugs, alcohol? I don't know. What is it? Something that's taking away your focus from God? What's that one thing that you know you need to stop doing? Maybe you can give that up for Lent and then focus on Jesus in those moments. And most importantly, ask him and pray to Jesus to ask him to help you do that. Now let's turn and go in the other direction. What things can we take up? Well, the first one, and we've already begun this, is this idea of prayer. I mean, it seems obvious, but if you're not in the habit of spending time with God in prayer, then making a commitment to pray every day during Lent will be a huge blessing to your relationship with Jesus. That's why we're leaning into this 40-day journey. Again, trying to help you as much as we can. And it's this 40-day journey that I think can have a huge impact on each of us individually, but my prayer, too, and my expectation is that it's going to have an impact on us corporately as a community of faith to see what God's going to do. And then the second take up number two, and it's actually part of the, the first one, is the idea of the Bible. I mean, we're praying, right? But if we're using Draw the Circle, Pastor Mark Batterson is leading us into some scripture each day to ponder and take on in our minds about what God can do through his word. And it's important that we lean into that. And I might even ask you to think about doing a special reading plan through Version. Many of us use that each day. Invite me in. You'll find me there. Invite the church in. And let's uh, walk together for a five-day plan. Uh, let me know what you'd like to do. And then, finally, the idea of church. That's the take-up number three, to be in a faith community. The truth is we're here every week, and we're going to worship, and we're going to talk about following Jesus in fun and authentic ways. That's what it's all about. We want the church to be a safe place where people can find community, where people can find purpose and connection. And so I would encourage you in this season of Lent to lean in to invite someone else to be part of this online experience, or if you're in the building with us on Sunday, to, to reach out and, and invite a friend to be part of what we're doing here each week. So there's seven things that you can do for Lent, four that you can give up and that you can take on. And you don't have to do all seven of them. I would encourage you to just to do one. I would really love to see you join us in the 40-day prayer journey. Uh, it's day five, but jump in and in, engage us in the conversation. You can leave a comment on the, the webpage. I'm looking forward to what God's going to do through this and would love to hear what you experience as you do it. Or invite us into a Bible plan. But together, let's be reminded that this season that we're in, this 40 days, is a tradition that Christians have been observing for centuries. And it's changed a lot over the centuries, and it, it can look different for different people. But the whole point behind this, the heartbeat, if you will, is that Lent is a time to allow us to intentionally slow down, to remind ourselves about our need for a Savior, about our brokenness and our sin, and to recognize how much God has done for us. Now, we know that Easter is just around the corner, and we also know in truth that Jesus is King, and so that should encourage us. So as we lean into the season of Lent together to observe this Lent in a whole new way, to help prepare ourselves and to become more fully devoted to all that Jesus offers us as followers of him. 
Let's pray. God, I just pray for your strength as we lean into this. Jesus, thank you for your life. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would encourage us in new and fresh ways. Thank you for this opportunity, and we pray it in your strong name. Amen. So now I, t I invite you to take a moment as we prepare ourselves to celebrate communion together. Good morning, Linda Road. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning for communion. We are uh, Lynn and Dan Feldman, if you don't know us. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from east and west, from north and south, to sit at the table of the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you in the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord until he comes again. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, for this time together to enjoy communion in remembrance of your sacrifice for us. We ask your blessings on this church and on the people and that you would help us to stay upon the path that you have set before us this day and every day. We love, love you and the blessings that you bestow upon us and these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's the body of Christ given for you.
the body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. The blood of Christ is shed for you. Please join us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. 